taking command is a story of how God, through a few questing and engrailed master masons operating in America, gave the world the gift of spiritual freedom. Scene 72, daytime, Philly indoors after a congressional meeting. Franklin, Adams, other members, Washington and staff. Adams says, I was with your thinking, General, and as we thought, another peace conference was useless. I could not agree more, Washington adds. Well, I to my work and you to yours, General. Adam leaves. Franklin notices and comes over. Washington says, Franklin, no need to tell me. Washington thinks Franklin is finally going to agree with him. Franklin smiles and Washington notices he has a need to talk. Reed, take the men with you. I will be there directly. Reed takes in the situation, motions to the generals, and they leave. Franklin guides Washington to a private room. They go in. The room's window looks out over a courtyard where we see Adams and others of similar ilk engaged in light banter. Washington and Franklin overhear through the open window. Adams looks around before he speaks. I thought Franklin would have known better than to waste all of the attendees' time. I wonder what Admiral Howe said to General Sullivan about the peace conference. Sullivan led us to believe that the Admiral had more discretionary power than he did. Is Sullivan a Mason? Masons, I know not, the congressman says. What have you heard regarding, Adams says, and then they walk away. Franklin turns to Washington. Admiral Howe knew he was without power to offer more. Then why did he waste? Franklin puts up his hand. His lordship was passing information masonically to me, Washington, and now you, in word, feel, and intention, go on. The Howes intend to help our cause. Franklin, that's the craziest idea I've ever heard. Both the Howe brothers, cousins to King George, have in essence changed allegiance to support our cause? Yes, I agree, Franklin says. Who would believe that two of England's best commanders would do this? And was it not General Howe who scaled the heights of Abraham with his advance party to help Wolf take Quebec, a feat considered one of the most daring in military history? I agree. Too unusual to be believed unless we look at the facts. They are both master masons, and as such, their allegiance, as ours is, to God first and then country. 
I met with Admiral Howe when I was in England, and in complete confidence he agreed that he would support an effort to enable America to be the country of our Masonic principle of freedom, a place where all may worship and know God in any way they choose. But he said he would only join our cause if both he and his brother the general deemed it the right time. The right time, Washington says, they are Whigs, Franklin, and sympathetic to our cause. Nonetheless, as I said, they are cousins to the king. Have you anything else to submit before I base the weight of my decisions on a hunch? Yes. During the peace discussion with Admiral Howe, Masonic words were used. The Admiral said, let our conversation now continue as amongst friends, and he hoped that it might lead to a permanent system being wrought. Maybe the Admiral was just being friendly with a brother, Franklin. Franklin shrugs with impatience. He has had enough of Washington's failure to perceive. So he says this next with the full weight of God. Let me be masonically clear, General. The Admiral's words were said with pure weight and substance of truth, which I now feel mirroring between us, General. Washington nods and agrees as he is visibly overcome by what he has come up against. Franklin continues, Rutledge, also a Mason, was there as well. And he stated to the admiral that he agreed with me and that he felt the conversation should continue as amongst friends. And Adams, Washington asked, he had no idea of what was transpiring. Bound in his brain he is, not bound by God and privy to the one mind, hence devoid of God's wisdom in such instances of fellowship like so many politicians. Washington say nothing. The Howe brothers risk all by participating. If their ministry gets one whiff of this, they will be recalled and Clinton will be in command. He will finish you off in one battle as the Howes could have already. Did he say anything else? Washington asked. Yes. When I asked deceptively because of Adams, if I had propositions to make to Great Britain, could I go through him? His answer was yes. Washington has been looking down, and now he looks up at Franklin. I believe what you say. I have tried to figure out General Howe's next move or any move with little success. You seem to understand it all so well. Franklin's face wears a wise smile. More time spent in Europe. Washington nods, looking down again, and then he looks up. And with God, Franklin nods, and Washington joins in. What say you, Franklin, in light of this? What I feel, Washington, using our one common sense is this. General Howe has to appear to be fulfilling his role in America, or he will be recalled. So, if I were General Howe, I would attack every so often to appease the ministry, that their millions are not going to waste. But instead of finishing the job, which I believe the British could have done on Breed and Bunker Hill, I would call off or delay my next move so that you, General, or one of your staff would have the time to find your way out of the predicament facing you 
as you did on your night retreat across the East River. True, Washington says. Hal called off the general advance and made regular approaches. I'm sorry if I equivocate, Franklin. Can this really be happening? I have served with the British. They are relentless in their cause to make the world England. Does it seem possible to you, General, that a man of General Howe's capabilities, whose profession is arms, excuse me, not farming like yourself, a soldier who always gets the job done, would behave any differently now? Franklin is losing patience again with Washington. No. The Howes are in play, using their North Star, their intuition and their feel through their atonement in God to know his, and thus their, next move in spirit. Using this gift, they weigh the situation and act in light of all the factors, and at the same time, they must quell the suspicions of their generals, who know not the reason they act differently from their usual natures. Washington. How does the general explain to Grant, Cornwallis, and especially Clinton how our fledgling army still exists to fight another battle? I'd hate to be the Howes, with the ministry, their staff, and the king all weighing in against them, and that combined force will only grow more antagonistic. Washington is silenced as he thinks. Thank you for your patience, Franklin. Franklin says, I don't know whose job is the harder one. Washington releases a weighty nod. And Franklin says, Washington, you have a confidence problem. My suggestion is to go to God ever more earnestly. He will enable you to believe with zeal that you can do this as you orient yourself from within. Believe is an interesting word. Be means to commune, pray, and leave is from German, love. To pray aright is to commune in love with God. Washington listens intently. Franklin continues, General, there is a great chasm between you and General Howe. He is a born commander with strategic genius. You are not. None of us are. Level that reality in God. When you rely upon God in silent prayer, you glorify him, and your spirit will be informed with wisdom and direction. Remember King Arthur, the sword and the stone? Washington nods. Set aside the two S's from sword and stone, and you have word and tone. With the one tone, the feel, wielded with the S's spiraling intent at your center, you raise up the word, your light self, from your cornerstone at X. That's the secret. Arthur pulled the sword from the stone using the tone. God's higher frequency. You are feeling that right now, General. Washington nods. With your raised up self in play during prayer, you may feel something has been imparted to you. Later, when it is in the right time, you will intuitively know what to do. Washington beams confidence as he considers. Thank you, Franklin. This may be all I need to know. 
indeed, General, you must ever be in readiness and raised up through communion with God to know your next strategic move. That is the way you get his next, not yours, done. Franklin, I will not fail you or our brethren. I know General Washington. I feel it. Scene 73. Midday, battle for New York. General Howe with staff, Patterson, Percy, Stedman, Kemble, Balfour, and Mackenzie watch as the American troops flee in complete panic. Howe, through his glass, observes Washington in the midst of his stampeding troops, opposite the farm of Robert Murray, attempting to rally his troops without result. So he strikes to no avail at stampeding officer and soldier alike with the broad of his blade in a swearing rage. Then we see Washington throw his hat upon the ground in utter frustration as his aides rush up to him, pointing out the approaching threat of advancing Hessian troops. They ride off, and Washington turns at a distance with a final look of exasperation and then vexation when he hears Howe's bugle. Well, that about finishes that, General Howe says. Percy reminds me of the hunt. Have the bugles called the view hollow. Washington, the fox, is in sight. His men delight in their commander's ever-ready sense of play, Percy gives a swift command to his lieutenant, and soon we see and hear the buglers, camera cut to Washington, who lingers on the field. He hears the bugles, as does his staff. He shrugs with, what else can I do? And then he rides off with his aides. Washington, I hear, loves the hunt, Patterson says. Howe replies, when this business is over, we shall invite him to his lands to hunt. Mount Vernon, is it? Laughter ensues. For now, though, let us see if the owner of that very nice manor over there would care to entertain his majesty's generals with a draught of something nice and cool. Lord Percy says, indeed, general, dreadfully hot today. They ride toward the country seat of rich Quaker Tory Murray. On the veranda, we see a very nice-looking 50-ish Mrs. Murray. Ah, General, we've been expecting you. You've timed your arrival precisely. His men take a quick look at their commander and each other. They cannot believe it. Only Patterson was privy ahead of time, and he wears an ironic smile as he catches Howe's eye. Mrs. Murray says, What a dreadfully hot day, lads. Please come over and refresh yourselves. General Howe, I believe the governor will join us directly, as will Mr. Murray. He told us you had sent word. Are battles so predictable? Patterson and the other officers look at Howe with deferential and par-for-the-course grin. Howe says, Some go according to schedule. His generals are quite pleased and nod to each other with this unexpected turn of events. Please, please come up, officers. If I may say so, terrible rout of Washington's men. She calls out to her house help. Annie, please bring out cakes and tea and my husband's very best Madeira. 
He should be here directly. James, she calls into the house. James, bring out more chairs for my guests. We will sit on the west side where a breeze begins to blow. James brings out the chairs and places them in the shade, and we see Royal Governor Tryon approaching. Country route, General, well done. Mr. Murray will be out soon. Never imagined you would be so timely, serendipity. How decides not to pick it up as he shrugs. And was that the view hollow I heard? Icing on the cake. Annie arrives with the food and drink and manages the table. Ah, the refreshments, Mrs. Murray says. Thank you, Annie. Please sit and partake, gentlemen. I cannot overstate the governor says, rather inconceivable that you could arrange our party before the battle. Hal says sometimes troop movement is predictable. Tryon raises his glass to Hal and memorable. All raise their glasses. Here, here. Mrs. Murray is quite taken with the general and has to pull herself away from him even if he is not engaged with her as Percy speaks. Thank you, General and Mrs. Murray. We are exceedingly well met. The generals raise their glasses again. Scene 74. An hour later, the conversation and the Madeira still flow at the Murrays. Governor Tryon says, General Howe, Lady Murray is quite taken with the philosophy of liberty. I believe she is a steady advocate for American freedoms. Mrs. Murray enunciates freedom when she speaks. American freedom, Governor Tryon. Freedoms might suggest to our guests that I am given to libertine behavior. We are very devout Christians. However, my husband and I agree not on politics. He is a decided Tory, and I am not. Mr. Murray says, my wife speaks her mind most freely, perhaps when she should not. Robert, if I am not mistaken, we have Whigs and Tories at the table. Patterson says, why, yes, we do, Mrs. Murray. And when God is foremost in our minds, secondary matters like which political party our human nature gravitates towards seems to matter not at all when one is amongst friends. All the officers raise and tip their glasses toward Patterson. Here, here. Howe says, Mrs. Murray, you seem to be enamored of liberty. Enamored may be too strong a word, General. Liberty means different things to different people. To some, liberty means replacing England's dominance and power with their own. Mr. Murray's stature shrinks as his wife's grows. I divine that would not be your definition of liberty, the General says. No, it would not, General. Robert Murray is giving her a look of enough. Mackenzie and all the Masons present love this. Mackenzie says, please speak plainly, Mrs. Murray. Balfour says, I second Mackenzie. Set aside your mast innuendo. And Patterson says, Mrs. Murray, speak freely, for we rarely have such an opportunity to share enlightened concepts with your countrymen. 
or rather, romantic notions with your countrywoman, Percy adds. How takes in Percy. The governor says, Mrs. Murray, these officers are amenable to all ideas when the Madeira is as fine a one as yours is. Uh, sorry, Robert, your Madeira indeed. See how my mind misgives? <laughs> Balfour, looking at the bottle and passing it on. I say, a very good year. Mackenzie, quite, as he pours himself some more. Mrs. Murray says, very well. Since we are all in agreement, she hurls a liberated smile toward her husband. I shall go ever so much further, Mrs. Murray says, and say that liberty, American liberty, is true freedom, a freedom devoid of overstepping governmental restraints, one that will enable each American citizen to know God through his own choice of religion in a way that will enable a most fundamental relation to be formed between God and man at a spiritually mirroring level. In my mind, gentlemen, to form such a relation with God is the one reason why we are all here. The officers, especially Hal, cannot believe what they have just heard. Hal keeps all that he is thinking and feeling under wraps, but the spiritual connection is mirroring between the generals and Mrs. Murray. Patterson says, please continue, Mrs. Murray. Balfour, yes, I should say so. Mackenzie, fascinating. No need for our officers' lodge this week. The others look at his indiscretion, and he nods. Mrs. Murray continues, You see, gentlemen, what I believe is that there can be nothing between the individual and God. There cannot be an oppressive state, because the feel of God within one is so refined and ephemeral that his call might be missed if one were under state control and authority. Light a candle, gentlemen, and observe the flame as it mingles tenuously and diffusely with the space around it. If you will, our soul is the flame, ever feeling God around and in us. It is our job here to perceive that. Thus, we must be ever vigilant to feel God's subtle call from within so we can then align our awareness with his and receive his gift of perception to know and feel him. We must be free of untoward state restraint or we might miss our one chance at divine perception. This is fundamental. We all want to find our way home to our center, our hearth, my son, my son Mason in French, to God. Isn't that the reason for our being here? Some of the generals look around to see how the others are receiving her words, even though they love it. Robert Murray's head is down. Governor Tryon is angry. Well... I have never heard such Patterson claps. Brilliant, Mrs. Murray, romantically enlightened. I am sure God loves your devotion to him. 
Hal says, I second Patterson. The best philosophical expression of devotion I have heard here in the colonies. Drink has liberated Hal's thought and tongue. Hal now tests Percy regarding Elizabeth. With the exception of one, don't you think so, Percy? Yes, rather, Percy says. Then belatedly, Percy is on to Hal's subtext and takes cover. Some, General, some. Patterson helps out. General, I believe Ella and Katie should be included. Mrs. Murray, with the quickness of perception, modifies the table with amends. It must have been your Madeira, Robert, which cleared the way for all to speak with graceful familiarity of Madame Liberty. A very tipsy Mackenzie is not aware of his commander's tension and catches on a little too late. He says, engaging and passionate are words I would use to describe our discourse. And then to how he says more quietly, reminds me of Elizabeth, how shoots him a cautionary look. Mrs. Murray says, as liberty pertains to God, Mackenzie, yes. The generals say, hear, hear. Balfour adds, godly passion is never lost on me. His eyebrows raise slightly with suggestion. Governor Tryon focuses his look of renewed irritation at Mr. Murray, who does not control his wife. Don't worry, Mrs. Murray, says the Governor Tryon. With a commander-in-chief like General Howe, England will prevail, and the Church of England as well, as our Quaker one, will serve the populace just as they always have. Howe's officers say, hear, hear, Mrs. Murray. Balfour adds, I fear, Mrs. Murray, the effect of a single hour with your Lady Liberty would find me a convert to the American cause, or perhaps I would don the robe of a monk. All are busting up now, having had a wee too much. How is on it? Mrs. Murray, you have been an excellent hostess, but my men and I should take our leave before you sound Colonel Balfour's entire depth with your initiated tone. Patterson and the men are becoming riotous for British officers while on duty. Patterson says, and Balfour then finds our British cause to be wholly lacking. Balfour says, was that wholly with a W or an H? <laughs> How with sternness. Duty calls, Balfour. Patterson? They say, yes, sir, General. The officers all rise. Thank you, Mrs. Murray. Mr. Murray, Governor Tryon, New York is England's now. We will meet again, I am sure. Governor Tryon, General, please remember me to Elizabeth. I will, Governor. How nods. The entire party walks out together. Mrs. Murray walks separately with the general to the horses. General, with the exception of one, might that one be Elizabeth Loring? How shows surprise, yes? I have heard that she is one of the very best types. How decides it best to play along and not give himself away again? No, Mrs. Murray, the best. And if you two were to meet, heaven help us, or maybe just me, neither would ever let the other go. If I may say so, General, don't worry about Percy. It is my deep impression that you and Elizabeth 
have already worked the difference, and it is she, and yes, you as well, who will never let the other go. General Howe's face moves with how impertinent, and then the tiniest smile and nod replace the former. Good day, Mrs. Murray. And a good day indeed to you, General. As the generals mount up, Howe says, Mason, Mison, home, hearth. Patterson adds, interesting, and candle flame. Excellent metaphor, Patterson. One for the lodge, Balfour says. Took it from me, Balfour. We'll test your perception level at the table. The others show, uh-oh, laughter. Balfour says, I'll bring it, Commander. How wears an okay then, look. Percy tests the water and finds how forgiving. I wonder how many more of these Americans speak and feel the way she does about their concept of liberty and their cause. Hers, Patterson says, was complete inebriation regarding liberty. Something to consider, Howe says, how many hearts and minds like this are in rebellion. Scene 75. Elizabeth and the general are at breakfast. The table is bright with eastern light on the cutlery and covered plate. My darling, I must be off soon. Prisoners Lord Sterling and General Sullivan will be exchanged today, and there may be an impending battle. William, what problem darkened you? Silence, and then Howe speaks slowly and feelingly. One might think, after so many of my friends have passed on or been dreadfully wounded, I would not be so particularly dismayed by one who passed yesterday at my order, a rebel spy. Elizabeth looks with concern but says nothing. She feels his emotion. A young man, Elizabeth, early 20s, well-educated, handsome, a captain, Captain Nathan Hale. His entire life ahead of him hung as a spy. I didn't want to give the order. I saw into his pure soul, but military justice is stern. And now, Elizabeth hesitates and then, yes, William, she reaches out and places her hand on his. I know he touched your noble nature. And now, Howe says, I suffer for his suffering. Denied a Bible when he asked for it, and his final letters to his mother and his sweetheart ripped up by Cunningham, Loring's choice of guard. I had a hand if removed in this, Loring. Howe has said this in the moment, forgetting Elizabeth's connection with Loring, her husband. Elizabeth shakes her head knowing her husband's character. Howe takes her hand. I am sorry, I forgot, I know. Soon Howe's head sinks a little as a new wave of emotion seizes him. He rewrites his mouth and pulls himself together to say, his final words were, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country.
Elizabeth, his, was the sacred cause of freedom. He shakes his head and stands looking out the window. Elizabeth's eyes brim with tears that cascade down. How much easier, he says, it is to lead my men, to risk my life in a noble cause than have to and now. Elizabeth is imbued with light as she gently and calmly becomes her word. William, never forget it was your moment wherein the flowing light of the Godhead poured into your heart and enabled you to know and affect God's plan for America. Glory is your reward. General Howe listens. His head is turned toward the window, but her words move him. He speaks slowly with great depth of feeling. You say these words with such penetrating force that I am immeasurably filled. Thank you, Elizabeth. All doubt has been washed away. He turns toward Elizabeth and sees a saint. Almost involuntarily, his right hand goes to his heart and he nods for he is of his self again.